Good morning, friends. I'm your host, Jared Carnes, and welcome to the Sore Hands Club podcast. This, this episode's going to be a little bit different. Uh, there's going to be no guests today. I'm just going to be talking about my own experiences with the injuries to my hands due to carving stone body drilling. Uh, I'm usually sitting in front of a microphone upstairs in my office with my laptop when I do this. My laptop is currently in for repair. It was the unfortunate casualty of a very large mug of coffee. Uh, so they're working on trying to save my data, and I am recording this podcast outside on an iPhone. So we'll see how it goes. Hopefully we'll get more bird noise than lawnmower noise here. But it's a nice fall day, and just feels right. Before I begin, I must give a huge thanks to my gracious podcast host, Suva Lapidary. My friends Chad and Amanda over there at Suva have done an amazing job of building a customer first lapidary supplier. If you need any kind of lapidary glass, ceramic, and even some jeweler's equipment, I highly suggest you look them up. I've been shopping with them for years. They've been very helpful. Uh, I'm thankful to have them as a resource and I love to share them. You can find them at suvalapidary.com. That's S-U-V-A lapidary.com. So at the moment, I have five broken ribs that I broke in a mountain bike race about a month and a half ago. They're about five, six weeks, something like that. That accident on the mountain happened as a direct result of the injuries to my hands that were sustained over years and years of carving stone body jewelry. Um, long story short, my hands do very poorly with vibration. And the downhill in this race was a lot more intense than I thought it was going to be. And I started getting pins and needles, uh, weakness developing in my hands and then my forearms. And eventually couldn't keep my hands on the bars. So I slipped a hand and then ate it really hard to the rocks on the side of the trail and cracked five ribs. Broke five ribs, actually. Uh, and then got up, finished the race, which was pretty rad. Um but that was yet another in the list of experiences that I've had <clears throat> uh, that were negative unintended consequences of spending years carving body jewelry in a production setting. And when I say production setting, I don't mean a hobbyist doing lapidary or even somebody who's making plugs part-time. I'm talking about eight hours a day, five days a week, uh, essentially acting like a machine, getting this stone ground polished and ready to ship for our customers. And that has done a number on my body and affects my life in a lot of ways. So I'd like to talk about that. Hopefully it will give some buyers an insight into what it's like to be an indie body jewelry uh, maker. And I'm hoping in particular that we'll give some other makers uh, some inspiration to take better care of their hands. I think we have a trash truck going by right now, so I'm going to pause for just a moment and listen to the bird. All right. So, to be honest, I have no idea how long I've been carving stone. It's been since the late 2000s, I believe. Um, 
when I first started carving stone, I was doing it just as a hobby. My company, One Tribe, at the time, was working a lot of um, horn and bone and wood in our Bali workshop. And then we dramatically expanded our domestic production here in Richmond, Virginia, so that we could accommodate a larger range of materials, uh, starting with wood and then eventually moving on to stone. I was a wood carver for a long time, had my eye on stone, started carving stone. And long story short, I fell in love with stone. I fell in love with uh, this incredible material that comes out of the ground that we perceive as so beautiful, but really just is what it is for no reason at all. And I fell in love with the historical perspective of stone. The idea that humanity wouldn't be where it was today without our interactions with stone, um, both utilitarian in terms of tools and creatively. Uh, colored stones, I firmly believe, created our uh, color palette and, and manipulated or changed the way that we view color throughout history. We went from you know, seeing colors like blue and purple only in insects, flowers, or sunsets, um, things that die or things that disappear. And once we discovered stones and all of these incredible colors, we had the ability to not take stories of color with us, but instead to take actual samples of it to other places and show other people who had never seen it. And that had to have been an incredible experience. So... I fell firmly within the realm of stone and started working stone by hand, just carving it with a rotary tool and uh, my first grinding machine, so to speak, was a drill press in our workshop that I took and turned sideways and chucked diamond bits into and set up a little water feed and ground stone using the tiniest of tiny bits and wheels as if it was a regular you know, lapidary cabochon machine with six wheels, like the machines that we use today. So I carved stone that way for a while and then decided, yeah, yeah, I'm into this. It was time to make the investment and buy the machine. So I purchased a Diamond Pacific uh, Genie machine. It's a six inch lapidary machine. It's about two and a half feet wide. It's really just a glorified grinder with enough arbor room for three wheels on each side, six wheels total, and some water flow so that things stay nice and tidy, don't get overheated, and you don't die from silicosis. One of the things that is pretty obvious about stone, you know, it's hard. Stone is hard. Grinding it against diamond creates a lot of vibration, and it's not a big deal if you are just grinding as a hobby, but if you've got orders coming in or you have products that you need to produce so that you can make payroll and uh, pay the bills, you end up taking a backseat. Your body ends up taking a backseat or in case, in this case, my body ended up taking a backseat to the priorities of the business, my employees, my customers. Um, I learned really early on just to kind of tough it out and keep moving through soreness, through pain, because things needed to get done. When I first started carving stone, 
I was just putting out pieces here and there and, and doing things to experiment. We had the domestic workshop making wood and we had imported products from the workshop that I had helped build in Bali years before. So we had some things to help subsidize my time. And I sat around doing administrative work, selling jewelry, but also learning how to carve stone, doing research and trying new things. I had the ability to sit around and work on new ideas and carve flowers and start doing some things that, that nobody or very few people were really doing domestically here in the United States as far as body jewelry lapidary was concerned. And posting that stuff online, it got a great reception and people were really digging it. That was amazing. As I got more proficient at working these pieces, I decided, yeah, we could take custom orders for this stuff. And that was the first mistake. The first mistake was building a queue of orders that essentially never ended. When I first started working stone, it was obvious that, you know, I had to take breaks. My hands weren't strong in that regard as far as uh, the clench on small materials and the ability to um, essentially have tensed muscles in my hands working for hours at a time. So it took some time to build up the strength and the techniques. And I eventually became very fast at making stone body jewelry. Um, I'm not going to talk too much about it. It really doesn't matter in the end and I ruined my hands as a result. But most of the time when I asked another maker how long it would take them to make a particular pair of plugs, um, you know, it would be half an hour to an hour or more difference in time between uh, my work for that basic set of rounds and theirs. And a lot of that was because I was ignoring signs of soreness and pain in my hand. Uh, the pain started as just lasting fatigue. Um, you know, I, I'd work a week and notice over the weekend my hands would be sore and you know, I just need to kind of massage them, squeeze them, stretch them out and not really think much about it because, I mean, I carve rocks for a living. It's not an easy thing on your hands and I just accepted it. Um, most of the issue is from constantly gripping small items, plugs, most of them are small, uh, with tense, rigid fingers and uh, while carving, also having a tensed palm um, and kind of a stiff wrist and forearm. You think about holding a small object out in front of your body it engages a lot of muscles already if you're using both hands, fingertips. And if you take that object and put pressure against it into the grinding wheel, that pressure comes through your tensed fingers, through your palm, which is supporting those fingers, through the wrist, which is supporting that tensed palm, and the forearm, which is supporting that tensed wrist. Over time, continually working my hands to fatigue started to change the way my hands felt day to day. Um, I started having to stop because of tightness and ache in my hands. Uh, it would be like when I first started working lapidary, but with a lot more pain and soreness. I would have to take breaks 
um, stop for a couple of hours and go do some administrative work and then come back and complete a project. At first, it was, wasn't really pain. It was awareness that they were always stiff. They become sore faster doing things that I'd always done before. Working in the garden, riding bikes, playing with my kid. Um, you know, it'd just be grabbing something in a hurry or doing something and suddenly realizing, oh my gosh, that really hurts my palm and it's so tense right now. Or, um, you know, I feel like I have forearm pump. I haven't really done anything. Or just constant, constant soreness in the fingers. Difficulty stretching my fingers all the way out. And just feeling like no matter how much I tried to stretch, it, it didn't it didn't go away. It started to ache constantly. A dull structural ache, like it was always present. Um it really affected my mood. It turned me into a bitter person. And I was fearful because, um, you know, I'd been running this company for over 10 years at that point, probably going on or somewhere around 15 years when things really got bad. And my entire identity, um, everything I knew about myself and my interactions with other people had been built around my business. I started it when I was 20 years old and I grew up with it. So this was a lot of mental anguish for me. Not only did it hurt genuinely, but uh, it hurt internally. I spent a lot of time, a couple of years, really confused about my place in the world and really struggling with this idea that, you know, my hands are damaged really because I was stubborn in the end. That's what it amounts to. This is 100% my fault. And that's the thing that's hardest to live with is that, you know, even right now, my hands are sore. I'm massaging them while I sit here talking. I have not actually made any jewelry today. I did some manual labor last week. This affects every part of my life. Doing the dishes, riding bikes, playing with my kids. It affects the bedroom. It affects driving. Um... It's a pretty big deal. It's really been a really difficult time for me to get around to. And I apologize for this episode taking so long because it's taken me a while to kind of wrap my head around, um, you know, how to kind of proceed as my, my world was shifting. So eventually it got to the point where I could barely work. I was having a really difficult time going into the workshop and just carving jewelry for a few hours at a time. I was breaking down in tears because my arms, my hands were in pain and felt like they were just not functional. And like I said, my identity was really taking a hit. Um, I finally decided to explore surgical options and visiting a hand specialist around that time. This was a few years ago, and after a couple of visits, I had some really frustrating interactions with the doctors um, and the process of decision-making for what to do about my hands. I really didn't want to have surgery, 
but I knew that it was probably going to need to happen because of the extent of my injuries to my hands and how fast it had happened. This wasn't a lifetime of working. This was 10, 15 years. Uh, so the first hand specialist that I visited, the gentleman who did eventually end up doing the surgery, diagnosed me with abnormally presenting carpal tunnel. And in the process of eliminating sort of issues and, and doing the confirmation, I was sent for a, an electrical nerve test that is generally used to diagnose uh, carpal tunnel syndrome. I completely failed the nerve test. There was no positive result at all. And as a matter of fact, the doctor who was doing the test at the time seemed visibly agitated that I had been sent to him because in his mind, there was nothing wrong with my hand. So now I had a doctor who just from experience was saying, I guarantee you, this is what you have. If you feel like you need more, let's send you to this test. And the doctor that did the test saying, as far as the machine can tell, there's nothing wrong with your arms. This was incredibly, incredibly frustrating and confusing for me because I was really looking for someone to give me direction. I needed someone to say, this is the issue you have. This is what caused it. And this is how we can proceed um, to at least minimize your symptoms. Instead, I got uh, confusion, uh, irritation. I felt even more kind of alone and isolated because now, you know, not only was my reality of sort of what I did for a living and my idea of myself with strong arms and hands being challenged, but I was in this state of confusion where I couldn't decide how to fix myself. I eventually decided to go ahead and have the surgery, carpal tunnel surgery. Uh, the surgery itself was not terrible. It was an inpatient. They did put me to sleep. Uh, it was, I forget what it's called, endoscopic maybe? Um, very small incision uh, horizontally across the wrist and they went in and did their business. Um, it's supposed to heal pretty quickly, easier procedure than a full surgery where they open it up. Um, so had that done, came home, uh, you know, right after surgery was a little miserable. I had some weird pain. Um, one of the things that I noticed right away that the injury, that the surgery did help was the, uh, lightning that I call it in my arms, my forearms and wrists, uh, nerve lightning, these sudden shooting pains, I would radiate down from my elbow and up from my wrist. Uh, the surgery did not make as much of a difference as I was anticipating or hoping that it would based on my research and the information from the doctor. The 
nerve lightning going away was a huge blessing mentally for me because I was really struggling with those random feelings that I couldn't control, was having problems sleeping as a result of it and, and other issues. So that being gone, I was so thankful for that. But in the end, after the healing, which took a lot longer than I anticipated, uh, I still have a lot of pain in my right hand, palm, forearm, the arm that I had the surgery in. Uh, and I don't anticipate having surgery for the carpal tunnel in my left hand. Uh, my left hand with the carpal tunnel generally still feels better than the hand that's had the surgery when, uh, when I'm having a hard time with them. One thing that the surgery did uncover was a secondary injury to my arms further up near the elbow, uh, I believe radial tunnel, which is a similar nerve pinching issue as the wrist, but it happens in the forearm just below the elbow. And that appears to contribute a lot to the tightness of my forearm and wrist loss of strength, um, loss of fine motor movement in my hands over time with vibration and stuff like that. That's how the accident happened. Um, so even today, you know, my hands are still in quite a bit of pain. Uh, doing manual labor, driving, anything like that is difficult and I just have to kind of take it at the pace that my body will take it and um, actually manage my body now, which I didn't really do before. Uh, I do not carve nearly as much stone as I used to. Actually, I'm going to walk into the workshop here in a minute and introduce you to Will, who was my longtime apprentice and now my full-time stone employee. Um, he's been a huge help and we have worked together over the last couple of years to try and find ways around the injuries that I'm facing so that him and other people in our industry don't have to deal with this stuff. You have to pay attention to your body. It's the only one you get. And if you're going to use it as a tool, you best treat it right. And this may be a controversial opinion, but if it needs to have machine tolerance, Maybe it should be made on a machine instead of by hand. Let's save the um, let's save the handwork, the really important stuff, for what matters: the details, the choice of the cut, uh, the stuff that really value adds for the customer. We've got to stop trashing our bodies uh, for commercialization to pay the bills because we won't have them for very long. Take a sip of water here, and then we'll walk back to the shop. Birds sound lovely today. We have a mostly wooded backyard in the city with a bunch of 100-foot-tall pin oaks and quite a bit of animal diversity back here as a result. I'm very thankful for that. My workshop is also in my backyard currently, which is very convenient. It may be loud here for a minute. 
Hey, Will. You got a minute? What were you just doing here? Cutting out some of these doublets. Oh, beautiful. Can we talk about hands? Oh, yeah. Do you have sore hands? Visually. <laughs> Par for the course doing lapidary, right? So could you could you give me kind of a rundown? You've been here for a long time. You started off as an apprentice and now pretty much carved jewelry full time. Um, how has this affected your hands over the years, kind of from the beginning and working forward? Well, my hands are already a little messed up from doing the granite work that I was doing beforehand. But, gotcha. You know, this sort of exasperated things a little bit. Getting away from the granite work helped a lot. So going from larger scale stuff to smaller scale stuff? Yeah, yeah. That, okay. was, uh, that was a big thing because the tools we were using in there were not meant to be used all day long. And I was using them all day long. So gotcha. So that would have been what, like angle grinders? Yeah, little angle grinders, cutting sinks, grinding gotcha. you know, edges and that kind of stuff. So big, big clench with the hands and probably some vibration. Oh, yeah, plenty. Yeah, mm -hmm. I bet it was the vibration that did it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so as far as coming in here and working hard things, right at the beginning, um, was there, or not hard things, small things, was there any adjustment period to that? Oh, yeah, for sure. It, uh, it was a completely different scale as far as going from working with something that's measured in linear feet and inches to something that's measured by the tenth of a millimeter. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, did you notice any change in your hands or any sort of different soreness as you switch mediums and scales yeah the this work was definitely more harder on the hands themselves whereas the granite work was kind of hard on my elbows so more more up in the arm the structural mm -hmm. gotcha um so give me the example say you've been carving in here for two or three days and you've been really busting out some stuff every day how do you feel after a couple of days straight of just grinding it, you can definitely start to feel it, especially working the smaller pieces, anything half inch and under, you really start to feel it because that's really fine work you've got to be doing and fine, like fine adjustments. And so really, like really hard stuff. on the fingertips. Hard on the fingertips, yeah. yeah. Grind through the fingernails fairly often. <laughs> yeah, we're all very nicely manicured here. Um, they're polished up nice, though. They're polished up nice. <laughs> Um, so over the last couple of years, we've been making some changes to the way that we work in the workshop, partially because I am busted and also so you don't get busted or more busted. Um, could you give us sort of a walkthrough of what's, what's around us right now that's changed? Well, moved on from primarily using one of these machines to having the both set up. So that's helping with time management as far as not not having to switch out the different sleeves on the yeah on, on the uh, grinding machine, machine ergonomics as well because these these sets of three are heavy exactly those are finger smashers so there's that and then we've got these new machines that are helping with the rough shaping of the stones which was putting a lot of the wear and tear on our hands so the rough shaping that's uh after it gets cut down from a slab yeah into blanks cool um and then so these are taking the, really, I guess, the most difficult or the roughest grinding mm -hmm. out of our hands yeah. and putting it in something that's just going to sit there so we can measure it mm -hmm. until it gets to the right size. 
and then I go through and fine tune it to give it all of our different dimensions. Yeah. So from there, you're coming over to the handwriting machines and doing the real work, Mm -hmm. the work that actually matters. Those are the details. Um, Over here on these machines, we have some tubing on the, uh, on the trays here. What's the benefit of that? Just helps prevent a pinch point where you're going to be sitting with your arms on it all day and, you know, yeah. Sort of push on your muscles or tendons. It's been my it's been my experience and most of these machines have really thin edges mm-hmm. at the front and that's um I think something that I hope is going away. I know that Highland Park recently made a machine that's got a nice big curve on the front. That's yeah. the eight inch machine that I've been looking at that we've been talking about was that. Um for anybody out there that's listening, if you have some, you know, five eighths inch, half inch rubber tubing or something like that. Stick it around the edges of the trays on your machines. It's going to save your wrists big time. Um, I know the Cab King comes with some flat spacers that go in the front of the tray. That helps me a lot. Um, Actually, a good place to rest your hands. Yeah, definitely. Something that's a little more broad and ergonomic than that edge. Um, let's see. Hand stuff, hand stuff. I guess that's about it, man. I don't want to keep you too long. Thank you for the chat. Oh, yeah. That's Will Butler, Lapidera Stone Carver for Dendrite, formerly One Tribe. So as you can see, this is something that's that's pretty universal. Anybody that carves stone and does it in a production basis where they're working all day is going to have these issues at some point. Um, definitely at some point, but especially if you push it like I did. I highly encourage you to do everything that you can in your power to make your workshop more ergonomic for your hands. I also know a couple of makers that have issues with their necks uh, from leaning over these grinding machines and working. And obviously that's not good either. Um, a lot of stuff, you know, we're, we're pretty young. I'm 40 years old. I just turned 40. We don't want the next generations of makers to continue making these mistakes or there won't be any more makers. I'm not currently teaching anyone to make jewelry on a production basis, grinding by hand. I won't do it. I don't think that that's the way. I think that there are better ways like these Cabochon preforming machines. Highland Park makes a machine. If you think that going from slab to a circle the right size, from rough to a circle is cheating. I really need you to analyze your logic behind that because like I said before, if it needs to be machine scale, machine tolerance, I can grind stuff to you for you all day at a quarter mil tolerance. But if you want me to keep doing it, we gotta find a better way. So let's do it. Let's talk about these injuries. I think makers should make it known. Damn, my hands hurt today. Tell people I have so many orders so that I can support my family. But it hurts, you guys. I think these are important conversations to have. And for those of you who are my customers who are listening, look, I don't I don't regret it. I've been making beautiful things that make people happy. That's that's worth more than anything to me. This is an inconvenience. At times, it's been incredibly frustrating, depressing even. But I'm going to keep doing this. We're going to keep making beautiful things. And we're just going to do it 
in a better way. So thank you so much for listening. Again, this is the Sore Hands Club podcast. I'm your host, Jared Carnes. You can see my work at dendritelab.com or on Instagram at dendritelab. You can also find uh, my employee Will's information through there. He's tagged in some posts, or you can just ask me for it and I'll give it to you. If you have any questions about workshop ergonomics, about keeping this from happening to you, or how to be a better informed consumer and maybe start helping makers pay more attention to their bodies, let's talk about it. I'm game. Thank you. I appreciate you. Have a good one.